Welcome to part two. Yes, yes, yes. Welcome to Hermophobia, <laughs> nineteen eighty-eight, part two. I'm Alan, and I'm Mark, and we're gonna we're gonna wrap up 1988 here, and uh, continue talking about uh, favorites that we've had, and uh, we're gonna talk a little bit about some of the stars and directors, the Oscars, the critics' picks. There's we got we got lots of stuff to talk about, and. In our top fives. Yes. Yeah. So let's not waste any more time and get right into this. Let's do it. into probably what is my favorite part of doing this and that is talking about um some of the breakthrough performances and directors of uh of the year in question this time being of course 1988 um we get a chance to give some of our opinions and there's nothing that i love giving more than opinions well maybe a handy now and then but <laughs> okay so did you want to back and forth this or do you want to just burn through your list and i'll do mine um, well, let's, let's go back, back and forth. Okay. Why don't you start us off? For directors? Um, uh, let's go with, uh, the stars of 1988. Alrighty. In no particular order, I would have to go with, uh, Gene Hackman for his performance in, uh, Mississippi Burning. Uh, fantastic. He's a, a great actor. I just, I can't, can't get over it. And. Uh, I also watched Bat 21 as well, and uh, again, he he was perfect in that too. Um, but yeah, in Mississippi Burning, he's this uh, older FBI agent to uh, Willem Dafoe's young, brash FBI agent who wants to change the world. Uh, and Gene Hackman calls it how he sees it, kind of thing. And it's he does a great job. Yeah. Very cool. Um, first for me would be, uh, Barbara Hershey. Um, she'd been around for a long time, like since the sixties, I think playing a lot of flower children and stuff like that through the seventies, appearing in like TV Westerns and stuff like that. In the early eighties, she was in, um, the entity and stuff, but she really broke through in 88. She had a huge hit with beaches and, um, and also she had a huge critical success with, uh, the last temptation of Christ. Yeah, and and her performance in the Last Temptation of Christ was 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 amazing. She's she's a great yeah. actress, you know. Her longevity is because not only did she have an absolutely beautiful face, but she had the talent to go with it. Mm -hmm. um, and and Beaches and Last Temptation really gave her enough steam to carry on her career and and start doing some better better stuff and stuff that she could um, sort of lead with as well. So. That's why I picked Barbara Hershey as one of the five stars of 88. Awesome. Um, staying in the female vein, uh, Glenn Close from Danger Dangerous Liaisons. Uh, just her, yeah, her acting in this just elevated her to almost like Meryl Streep status for uh, like leading lady roles. Uh, just stunning, like they're oh, just 
Yeah, it's hard, she, to, it's hard to describe. She the has an amazing body of work. I mean, prior to yeah. this, she'd done The World According to Garp and Jagged Edge and, um, you know, Fatal Attraction and stuff like that. It was just solid performance after solid performance. And But I think she kind of got, well, you know, even, okay, to be fair, Danger Liaison still kind of portrays her as that um, um, maybe overly strong kind of masculine kind of woman. Hmm. But... But with this really biting sense of humor that we really hadn't seen from her before, she 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 bats it out of the park and then some in in dangerous yeah, liaisons. Yeah, it's just a, a perfectly done role for her. Yeah, yeah. Um, for me, I picked uh, Tim Robbins. This was a big year for him. Again, a big critical hit with Five Corners, and critical and box office hit with uh, Bull Durham. Yeah. It was it was a great year and. You know, it, this is the year that gave him enough steam to, you know, start picking up projects as a director, as a writer, and and everything else. He and yeah, being able to pick and choose, yeah, as well. Yeah, and it it just it 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 made him uh, a major force in 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 film history. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Uh, I also had Dustin Hoffman for his uh, role in Rain Man. Uh, again, yeah, he is the consummate method actor. He gets into his role really well. Like he, uh, yeah, he portrayed Raymond as perfectly as anybody ever could. I think uh, when you compare him to the guy that he modeled him after, yeah. But yeah, he's like like you said earlier, uh, he's he's a very gifted mimic. Yeah. But yeah, very gifted. Very cool. Yep. Uh, 1988 uh, was a great year for Sigourney Weaver, much like 1979 instead of Breaking Out, <laughs> mm-hmm. which she did that year. Um, this year she put in not one but two Academy Award-nominated performance performances. <laughs> one as Diane Fossey in Gorillas in the Mist, an amazing, amazing film, which she was nominated for Best Actress. And um, a comedic performance, which was not unheard of. I mean, she'd been in the Ghostbuster films. But um, but as a as a character that we probably hadn't seen her before, which was uh, Catherine in Working Girl, where she was such a bitch. I mean, Sigourney Weaver is always the woman on screen that we were used to cheering on and and getting behind. Whereas in Working Girl, we wanted to see the bitch go down. <laughs> and, and but still, and you still loved her after it. You know what I mean? Like I. Yeah. She's she's amazing, and I mean, 1988 was really a year for her to to to, to, uh, to shine. And yeah, and that uh, that in itself, like that, she was nominated for two, for both leading and best supporting. Uh, that hasn't been done a lot. It hasn't been done a lot, and but when it has, generally the actress or actor in question will win at least one of the two. Sigourney Weaver went home empty-handed that night, which is Ouch. almost unheard of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my next two stars are both from the same movie, but I'll start with one. Uh, Michael Palin as the bumbling hitman in A Fish Called Wanda. Uh, everybody knows him from uh, Monty Python, but uh, his character is so fleshed out and so rounded in this. And even though, yeah, he is a hitman, you love him. And yeah, his affection for his fish, yeah, it's just a brilliant performance. 
by 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 Palin. Cool. You said there was two. Well, yeah, but oh, okay. we're gonna go back and forth. Uh, for me, next is Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis transcended uh, television, and he became a major film star, a major action star. Uh, his turn as John McClane is. Um, Every action film afterwards was modeled after that film. Every action leading star was modeled after his performance in Die Hard. He brought the perfect blend of tough guy and comedian and everything else into the performance. And he he, he created a character that was um, very relatable in an unrelatable scenario. Mm-hmm. Like, this made him a star. There, there's no denying. This, uh, could you have seen Bruce Willis in a movie like this? Before this, well, I probably wouldn't have wanted to see Bruce Willis in a in a, in a role like this because I'm not a big action movie fan. Um, he had been in Blind Date, which I thought was an okay movie, but not a great movie. Mm-hmm. Um, he'd also been in, I think, Sunset came out this year as well too, and it might have been released before. And again, I wasn't too interested in. As I was happy. With him being David Addison on Moonlighting Forever, that would have been that would have been good enough for me. I did enjoy that show. Yeah, but yeah, but no, Die Hard. Um, just it it showed a side of Bruce Willis that we hadn't seen, as well as as you know playing up what we had already seen and and made it bigger and better. Bruce Willis, nineteen eighty eight, was his year. Excellent. Um, my second from A Fish Called Wanda is Kevin Klein. And uh, he plays uh, like an ex-CIA agent who is evil. He's just evil, and he but does, a complete buffoon. Yeah, <laughs> and he was nominated uh, for best supporting actor for his role in this, and uh, justly so. Like he he played his part, yeah, amazingly. Just. Uh, Oh man! Yeah, <laughs> I want to watch it again, even though we only saw it like like a couple couple months ago. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, lastly, I've got Gina Davis on my list. Um, she, out of the blue, picked up the best supporting Academy Award for her performance in the Accidental Tourist. Uh, prior to this, we'd seen her in you know Transylvania Six Five Thousand and the fly and there was really no indication that she was going to do what she did in this film, which was she, she was the life force of the accidental tourist. She's, she's what created the awakening and everything else. And this gave her uh, the position in Hollywood to start picking up other major parts that, that she would take and make her own Mm -hmm. Um, everything from long kiss, goodnight to Thelma and Louise to, she, Cutthroat Island. Yeah. Well. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I love Cutthroat Island, but let's face it, it was it was a bit of a dog in in terms of its performance. So. Yeah. But um, yeah, it was cool. I it, loved it, and that's it. Those are those are my five stars for 1988. And my five stars. We'll uh, talk about some directors here now. Alrighty. Uh, I don't have as many directors. I've only got three directors of note for me. Okay. Um, the first one being John McTiernan for directing Die Hard. Uh, wow. He couldn't have done a better job. Um, I'm really glad that he did as good a job as he did because 
that would have sucked that like can you imagine a world that didn't have Die Hard mm-hmm. or Die Hard as a model for other movies? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my first director is Wes Craven. Uh, he put out The Serpent and the Rainbow this year. Um, this was a film that critics actually kind of took seriously. It It is a horror film, but um, it, it's one that... With, with Craven's direction and the performances of the actors, particularly Bill Pullman, gave the film a lot more credibility than I think a lot of people were expecting it to have. Mm-hmm. Um, that yep. <laughs> uh, my next uh, director is Alan Parker for Mississippi Burning. Uh, he paints a very, a very good picture in this movie. Like this, the like this, the black and white and the shades of gray that that were like the South in that time, and uh, yeah. Yeah, he went on later to do Evita. I know you like that one. Yeah. And uh, Angela's Ashes. Um, yeah, just uh, what can I say about him? Uh, his his directing style made it uh, very, very crisp, clear performances by all the actors. and I like it. Cool. The reason I was staying so quiet through your talk of Alan Parker is because I too had chosen Alan Parker as one of my directors of 1988. I know who to thunk, but um, this is a guy who has an incredible body of work. I mean, prior to this, he did Bugsy Malone, Midnight Express, Fame, Shoot the Moon, Pink Floyd's The Wall, and Birdie, which I was not particularly interested really? in. Really, I, I like Birdie. Yeah, and his film prior to Mississippi Burning was the mind fuck that is Angel Heart, which I love. I love that movie. And Mississippi Burning is um, probably the crown jewel of his entire body of work. It was, um, I'm using the air quotes here, an important film. And he rose to the challenge. Um, he, he went on to do The Commitments and Evita, as you said. But um, I think Mississippi Burning is going to stand as his his masterpiece, mm-hmm. and yeah, he he and he deserves he deserves he deserves the accolades. Right on. Um, my last director is Stephen Frears from Dangerous Liaisons. Uh, pulling pulling together those those performances like from John Malkovich, Keanu Reeves, Uma Thurman, Glenn Close. And uh, Susie Kurtz, just the uh, pulling it all together and making it a cohesive movie. Like, there were such strong performances. Did you just ignore Michelle Pfeiffer again? I did. Holy shit. What am I doing? I don't know, but you've got to hate on for that woman. I don't. I love her. <laughs> I love Michelle Pfeiffer. I'm sorry, Michelle. If you ever listen, if you ever listen to this, I'm sorry. I, I, I love you. Um, But, yeah. And yeah, he he went on from here to do uh, the Grifters, uh, Hero, a movie I didn't really care for that much. Uh, but yeah, the Snapper, the Van, High Fidelity, Dirty Pretty Things. Oh, and I loved that movie. That was fantastic. And uh, the Queen, 
and Mrs. Henderson as, as well. But uh, and the deal, hmm? the sequel to the Queen. He also did High Fidelity. That's what I said. Oh, did you? Yeah. Okay. Um, me too. I've got, I've got Stephen Frears on my list. Um, oh, imagine that. Well, and I had been a Stephen Frears fan prior to this. I mean, I loved, um, prick up your ears, Sammy and Rosie get laid. Uh, my beautiful Andrette. Oh my God. That is such a great movie. Um, but this was his, this was his breakthrough year stateside. Um, dangerous liaisons was a huge film and, it, it it did it it gave him the keys to the city where he was able to make the grifters and 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 the films that you mentioned actually the van and the snapper and stuff like that was sort of his return back to england but um the the american films that he did up to hero were probably his kind of power films you know what i mean like uh the grifters dangerous liaisons those were both highly highly acclaimed films and when he did come back and start doing um stuff like high fidelity and mm-hmm. and stuff like that then uh he sort of got that attention back again but um dangerous liaisons was a major turning point for him mm-hmm. also on my list i had ron shelton who as a first-time director was absolutely uh, did an amazing job with bull durham and he he would he too would end up making a, a fairly impressive body of work but my number one, mm-hmm. nearest and dearest to my heart, David Cronenberg. Of course. Tw- uh, Dead Ringers. I was going to say Twin Peaks. Where the fuck would that come from? <laughs> Dan- uh, David Lynch, maybe. Hey, yeah. Hang overhead. <laughs> <laughs> but Dead Ringers, this was, this was the movie that, I mean, yeah, The Fly was hugely successful and everything else. And it, it got great critical attention and everything else, but um, Dead Ringers solidified Cronenberg as a director that critics and um, eventually, um, you know, the, the, the those who gar- garner and give awards would finally give the credibility that he mm-hmm. deserved to. I mean, he, he was overlooked for the Academy Awards for, for um, Dead Ringers, but, you know, we we showed him the love in Canada, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I mean he and he he would go on to make films that were so divergent from what he was doing before. He, you know, he wasn't making horror films anymore. He was doing stuff like Crash, and um, M Butterfly, and Spider, and A History of Violence. Oh and, yeah, you know it 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 was a major turning point for him, and he started getting the respect that he deserves. Yeah, and. Uh... Yeah, he stopped stopped making like really strange, hard to follow movies. But that's I'll disagree with you on that because yeah. he um, thematically his films kind of remain the same. He they, his he diverged in that they weren't graphically horror films, but they were still horrifying in sort of the psychological element and like, like Spider. Yeah, that was. And he and he still maintained the sort of disassociation between um, man and his environment, like, and how man still continues to evolve and everything else. I mean, that was a big theme in in um, Dead Ringers. Even was that 
you know, these two fucking drug-addled gynecologists (laughs) were believing that women were mutating and required special instruments to, Hmm. you know, work their funny parts. (laughs) Their funny parts. But uh, it was uh, probably after this, too, that he started getting, like, bigger and bigger named actors. Oh, everybody wanted to work with him. In his roles, yeah. Everybody wanted to work with him. I mean, yeah, I... I mean, Holly Hunter, who had just won an Academy Award as Best Actress for her role in the piano, what was the first thing she did? Crash. Crash, which <laughs> is so fucked up. I mean... And it's when, so not the piano. It, well, it's so not an Academy... It's not the kind of film that you would expect someone who could take the the power that comes with winning an Academy Award and parlay that into a film that is so... Um, divisive for audiences like uh yeah very niche market yeah you know and hats off to her and and i think that just it it speaks to the respect that cronenberg has in in the film community that Mm -hmm. you know people will will walk away from from you know the the prestige that comes with an academy award to take a chance with somebody who has something different to say and is willing to give a different point of view because yeah, even though uh, yeah, Crash didn't win anything. Well, it it won well, the Palme d'Or at, oh, at the Cannes Film Festival. But uh, like like Academy wise, yeah. Um, but that's just it. Everybody knows what it is. Everybody has seen it, and here it is, uh, years and years later, and they're still talking about it. Well, but the thing is, he, Dead Ringers gave him that that respect. It gave him that cachet, right? Mm-hmm. But it just took a few years for the Academy to catch up. I mean, history of violence, they couldn't ignore him anymore. Yeah. You know, that they couldn't ignore the stuff that he was doing and say that, you know, this isn't the best that is being put out. And, I mean, he's done it back to back now with Eastern Promises. I can't wait to see what's coming next. Yeah. Uh, another Viggo Mortensen movie with him? I don't know. I would hate to see him get too attached to, to yeah. one particular director or what one actor. particular actor and sort of get that, you know, that sort of, you know, Depp Burton, you know, so, yeah. so, you know that kind of thing. I, I don't I don't really think that's who Cronenberg uh, is. But, no. I mean, if he has found an instrument that can interpret his vision, then so be it. Yeah, because, well, Viggo Mortensen, he goes right into his role, too. Like, he does research and everything just to... Well, and he picks very to, offbeat to flesh stuff. out the roles. He picks yeah. very offbeat stuff, too, which, I mean, really kind of fits into Cronenberg's canon, so... Mm-hmm. So those were the directors. Good choice on that one. Yeah. I, yeah. Uh, here, here. I love me some David Cronenberg. I'm sure that in, I mean, we're only, this is only year two of the 40 that we're going to be covering. I think you're going to be hearing about more Cronenberg over the next, uh, <laughs> the, the remaining 38. Cause I do. No I, doubt. He's my favorite. He's my favorite. The yes. man makes me proud to be Canadian. And I'm your friend to the end. Heidi ho <laughs> <laughs> Wow. He's something, isn't he? Next, we'll be talking about the horror films of 1988. Ooh, scary. Now, before we get started, it should really be mentioned that the horror films at this point have become so franchised. Like, oh, yeah. every 
every other film has a Roman numeral of some or a numeral of some kind behind it. Or 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 it's the start of the franchise. Yeah. We we may cover a couple of them here, but I mean, listen to this. We've got Child's Play 2, Critters 2, The uh, Curse 2. Child's Play is just Child's Play. Oh, just Child's Play, which is the beginning of it. My bad. Yeah. Uh, we have Friday the 13th Part 7, Halloween 4, Hellraiser 2, The Howling 4, um, Maniac Cop, um, Phantasm 2, Poltergeist 3, The Seventh... So- oh, no, that's not... <laughs> I was just fucking with you. I didn't really make a mistake. Uh, Sleepaway Camp 2 and 3 and Waxwork and Witchcraft. All of which were either the beginning, middle, or end of, of a franchise. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Crazy. Indeed. So, you know, it's, it's kind of funny because you think about how much we bemoan the fact that they keep making remakes that Hollywood's out of ideas. I mean, back in, in 88, they didn't really have a lot of new ones either. Yeah, but strangely enough, they did uh, like two and a half times more horror movies in '88 than they did science fiction movies. Oh yeah, there's, there's only 17 in or 17 science fiction movies. Uh, there were there were 45 horror movies. Yeah, like because horror rocks <laughs> and it it pays the bills. Yeah. So the first film we're going to talk about is uh, Wes Craven's The Serpent and the Rainbow, which uh, starred Bill Pullman, as we'd mentioned earlier. Um, Pullman plays a, uh, employee for a pharmaceutical company who goes to Haiti to investigate, um, this drug, which is being used in, uh, voodoo practices to make people zombies. It basically puts you in a state of suspended animation where you appear to have no heartbeat or anything happening. And, and, um, and it was believed in the voodoo culture that when, you know, you came out of the state, you were undead, uh, this causes some um, animosity amongst the voodoo community and they really don't want him him doing this and it mm-hmm. kind of becomes a, a, it becomes sort of a supernatural horror film as it progresses but it's a great movie yeah I I last saw this probably like two three years ago and uh, yeah I, I enjoyed every minute of it yeah. again yeah and I mean, and it, again, you know, Craven, Craven's old hat at horror. He he knows what he's doing, but uh, Bill Pullman really, I think, gives it such a centered performance that you you get sucked into it. I mean, you really do believe in this guy and and what he's going through. So, uh, next up is Ken Russell's The Layer of the White Worm. Now, are you familiar with Ken Russell? Um. Is he the husband of, uh, what's her name? Well, I'm sure his wife has a name. Yeah. I'm not too sure what it is, but um, Ken Russell has had a very long film career as a director. He was... Can he do Kafka? No. You're thinking of Nicholas Rogue. That's what I said. (laughs) (laughs) Um, His his film career started back in the 60s, where he was doing films like um, uh, Women in Love... Music Lovers, The Devils, uh, Savage Messiah, Tommy, uh, Valentino. And in the 80s, he kind of had a sort of reversal of fortune. Altered States was probably the last big um, film that he did. And then after that, he I, he still made great films. He just didn't get an audience to see them. Uh, Crimes of Passion was probably a big turning point. 
great film didn't get uh didn't get an audience gothic another great film didn't get an audience uh salome's last dance same deal and then there was layer of the white worm mm-hmm. which is based on a graham or a graham bram stoker novel and it's crazy it's fucked up just like bram stoker was when he wrote it yep yeah. yeah he was all crazy with the syphilis at that point and um yeah it's about this uh couple of girls who have this uh property in england and um these these guys are this one guy in particular is excavating he finds a skull they figure it might go back to this whole legend of this uh giant serpent that lived in the area and um at the same time lady sylvia returns and uh as we find out she's a sort of a pagan that worships this this beast this mythical beast and is ready to resurrect it Hmm. I, I can't I can't I can't just I can't give the film justice by trying to synopsize it. It's one of those films you have to see it to to enjoy it. Yeah. Uh Hugh Grant's in this in a kilt. Hugh Grant, yeah, it's an early <laughs> performance by Hugh Grant. Uh Sammy Davis is in it, Catherine Oxenberg and Amanda Donahoe, who yeah. is it's gorgeous. I loved love love her for this film and this film alone. Yeah, it, I enjoyed watching it a lot just because it was so fucked up. And uh, Amanda Donahoe uh, get, gets her kid off completely in it. I, I enjoyed that. Dude, we established the fact that you just had a birthday. Yeah. And uh, you're of age where the nudity factor shouldn't really be a factor anymore in what movies you're watching. Hey, shut up. <laughs> we're talking 20 years ago which at that point you were still 63 and it shouldn't have really mattered whether or not there's any nudity I'm just saying be quiet okay mm-hmm. next up we're going to talk about George Romero's Monkey Shines a experiment in terror as <laughs> the subtitle says Um, this is a movie about uh, a young college student He's uh, he's an athlete uh, played by Jason Bay, who goes out for a run one day and is hit by a car and left uh, quadriplegic. His buddy, played by John Pankow, is a scientist who's been experimenting with uh, some monkeys. And when his experiments are sort of being threatened, he liberates one of the monkeys from the lab and has it trained to be a companion for his friend. Mm-hmm. And up to this point in the movie, you have, you know, some intrigue happening and... Um, you know, pathos with with the fellow who's just become uh, quadriplegic and yeah. um, everything else. And when the when the monkey and 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 the guide come together, it comes a sort of heartwarming movie about you know how animals can help us and blah 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 and everything else. And then it starts getting a little fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's a simple way to put it. Yeah, it's a, this is a really really great film and v- virtually unseen. I don't think too many people know about this movie. It's not in, you know, it's it's not a Romero, Romero zombie film, so I don't think that many mm-hmm. people paid attention when it was released. But it is a it is it is a really really good film. Yeah, uh, and yeah, I always wanted a little capuchin monkey when I was younger. It was like. They were so cute. Uh, you got to see them in like little rascals. They had them when they're 
But uh, yeah, this this monkey cured me of that. <laughs> <laughs> but she was still sweet, Ella. Yeah, yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, it was. It was. It, it's a cool movie. And um, oh, you know what? We watched on uh, Graham Norton what uh, Brandon Fraser was saying about the monkeys too, right? Oh yeah, they, they just tear angry. apart the seat, and tear apart the set, and uh, sit in the rafters and masturbate. So, <laughs> do you really want that in the house? New. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. New. No. Uh, next up is Hellraiser 2, or Hellbound Hellraiser 2, the sequel to uh, Clive Barker's Hellraiser. Uh, this time he handed over director control to a fellow named Tony Randall, and no, not that Tony Randall. <laughs> um, this is a guy, I mean, I was I was just looking over this Tony Randall's uh, filmography. What happened? Like... <laughs> He did some, like, Playboy Inside Out episodes and, like, some bad Amityville remake or sequels, and it's just been a steady decline ever since. Um, and yet, somehow, he made what is almost, if not as good of, as better film, if not as good as a better film than the original Hellraiser. Um he plays with the narrative a little bit. It, mm-hmm. The movie picks up where the last one left off, except now Christie's now in an institution where there's a rather diabolical doctor trying to uh, um, resurrect the centibites and, and wreak havoc once again. But the movie has this really kind of fucked up dream quality to it, and it is, it, it is very graphic in its portrayal of, of um, blood and violence and stuff like that, but... It, it's gotta love that, but it's just, it is a really, really cool movie. Uh, Barker was again, uh, a writer on the film, but, um, he, he kind of stood back and, and let this other guy take control and made a really, really good movie. Awesome. Uh, next up is the blob one that you wanted to speak of. Yeah, it's a blob. Uh, it's a remake of the 1958 classic. Um, it was kind of cute and corny, and uh, I, I I rather enjoyed it, though. It's a fun movie. Yeah, it has stars Kevin Dillon and Shawnee Smith. Uh, you might know Shawnee Smith more from her new performances in uh, the the Saw franchise. Um, but, I, yeah. I fell in love with her in summer school. She was and, so great. That. And, yeah, and I watched her in Becker. Oh, yeah, she was Linda. The, yeah. Was that her name, Linda? I think so. Yeah, and Kevin Dillon is working a fucking mullet like you would not believe in this movie. <laughs> oh, man, yeah. 1988 was, was the year of the mullet. I saw it a few times in movies. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's a great little movie. This asteroid hits the Earth. That turns out it wasn't an asteroid. Uh, it was a military science experiment gone awry. And... Uh, yeah, it's this bacteria that mutated, and now it's a blob and killing people. It's like big purple mucus. Yeah. Mm. should also be mentioned that this is, in fact, a remake of an earlier film that starred Steve McQueen. Oh, was Steve McQueen in, yep. the, in the 58 version? Yep. Ah. Awesome. Uh, next up, we have Child's Play. Ah, yes, Child's Play, the beginning of the Chucky franchise. Um, starred Chris Sarandon. Uh, Who's Susan Sarandon's, Sarandon's first brother. husband. Oh. First husband. First husband? Wow. Yes. 
What hang was his? Oh no! Uh, oh, I'm thinking of somebody else. That's the brother, sister. Anyways, remind, never mind. <laughs> These aren't the droids you're looking for. Um, yeah, uh, also uh, Brad Dourif uh, in his uh, second performance uh, this year. Uh, he was in Mississippi Burning as well as um, a Sheriff's Deputy. But this one here, he plays a uh, a career criminal who just happens to know a little bit of voodoo. And he sends his spirit into the doll of Chucky when, uh, who was a good guy or a good fella, a good yeah, buddy. Good guys. Yeah. Good guys. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah. He discovers I, that he has to get out of the body before he becomes permanently a doll. Yeah. And, um, the he has little to kill boy. The little boy. Well, he doesn't have to. He just needs another body. Well, and he's sort of chosen to start over um, with all of his dastardly knowledge as, as a child. And who knows what sort of great criminal mind he could be then kind of thing. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it's a fun little romp. I, I, rather, I rather liked it. It also I, stars uh, Catherine Hicks, who's in that fucking piece of shit Christian fucking Seventh Heaven TV series. <laughs> who... Uh, Jessica Bill. Yeah, came out of. Yeah. Oh. Anywho. Yeah, and last off, you wanted to mention. The last and definitely the least. Uh, Poltergeist 3. Uh, the only returning characters are uh, uh, Heather O'Rourke, who played Carol Ann, and Zelda Rubenstein, uh, who played Tangina, the little psychic. <laughs> But there were, were some names that joined the cast, oh, uh, yeah. Tom Skerritt and, and Nancy, Nancy Allen, Allen and Laura yeah. Flynn Boyle. Yeah, uh, it was actually Laura Flynn Boyle's very first film. Mm-hmm. Uh, she'd done a couple of TV shows before that, but yeah, it's her first uh, first big film acting role. Um, yeah, there was a bit, a bit of controversy about this movie at the, at the end because uh, Heather O'Rourke, a uh, little girl, had died before uh, they had finished filming the the ending. Like they they had they had done an ending for it, but they wanted to ramp up the the horror quality, so they were going to be re reshooting the ending. And she ended up dying from some little bacterial infection or something. Or was it pneumonia? Or... No, I think she had a uh, some sort of. It was a long term disease. She'd had it for. Hmm. Yeah, she was in. Um, I believe she was on Happy Days at that point as well, too. Um, Heather O'Rourke, the little girl? Yeah. Uh, Cardiopulmonary arrest and intestinal stenosis. Yeah, but she had had some sort of long-term... Yeah, she was on Happy Days, Webster, Stole the Beaver. Why do you argue with me about this sort of stuff? This is, this is, this is my era, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, um, boo, boo, boo. Where was I? Uh, yeah, they ended up uh, reshooting the ending for the movie with uh, her stand in in makeup. And, uh, yeah, it was just uh, a fairly shitty movie all around. I got nothing to add. It uh, was very underwhelming, to say the least. Yeah, and it's too bad because, yeah, it did have some, some good actors in it. But, uh, 
Yeah, and Nancy Allen, who had just done uh, The Hidden before that. Well, no, it wasn't The Hidden. What was that? Oh. Robocop, you mean? Robocop, sorry. Ooh, wow, where did I get The Hidden from? I don't know. Crazy. No, no, I'm thinking uh, uh, John Travolta's movie, uh, Blowout. Blowout? Well, that was that, that was 81. Before. Yeah. Fuck. Wow. She was in Carrie and... Dressed to Kill and all sorts of good stuff. She was married to Brian De Palma. Ah. Yes. That makes a little bit of sense. There you go. Aunt, darling, what do you know from raising a child? What's to know? Whenever there's a problem, I simply imagine how you would solve it. And then I do the opposite. That's what you invited me here for? To insult me and spit on your father's grave? Oh, my God! Arnold, you live your life the way you want. I put my fist in my mouth. I don't say a word. But think about the boy. He sees you living like this. Don't you think it's bound to affect him? David is gay. He's been here less than a year. He came that way. Nobody comes that way. What an opening. And now we will move on to dramas. We'll quickly go through a rundown of what also ran that year. Um, I, just titles here. Let's go um, 1969 um, and God Created Woman, the remake, uh, Another Woman, The Bear, um, The Big Blue, The Boost, um, Bright Lights, Big City, Buster, Cinema Paradiso, which was an Academy Award-nominated film for Best Foreign Language Film. Uh, Colors, A Cry in the Dark. Uh, (laughs) Oh, you forgot uh, Bird, which was uh, Clint Eastwood's uh, homage to uh, Charlie Bird Parker. Okay. Um, uh, Distant Thunder, Dominic and Eugene, Eight Men Out. Everybody's All-American, Far North, uh, Five Corners, For Keeps, uh, Fresh Horses, The Good Mother, um, Iron Eagle 2. We'd already said that, right? Uh, Kansas, Last Rites, Little Dorrit, Little Nikita, Madame Suzaka, Masquerade, the one with uh, Rob Lowe and Meg Tilly and Kim Cattrall. The Milagro Beanfield War, Miles from Home, Miracle Mile, um, Mystic Pizza, big uh, Julia Roberts breakthrough film, Patty Hearst, which I wish we had time to talk about everything because I really love Patty Hearst, Um, The Prince of Pennsylvania, Promised Land, Punchline, Red Heat, which we never did get around to talking about, did we? No, not really. Yeah. Uh, Some Girls, Stealing Home, um, Talk Radio, Tiger Warsaw, Tucker the Man in His Dreams, Two Moon Junction. Such trash, but I loved it. (laughs) (laughs) The Unbearable Lightness of Being, which we should be giving some love. And um, Young Guns. But we will begin by talking about uh, The Accused. Yes. 
Kelly McGinnis and Jodie Foster star in this film about a woman who is gang raped in a bar one night and her assailants are from all intents and purposes pretty much set free basically because the um, assigned attorney who's played by Kelly McGinnis thinks that she wouldn't be a credible witness on the witness stand and there's a certain amount of that kind of uh, she asked for it kind of attitude going yeah. on and she uh, Jodie Foster's character ends up kind of sort of trying to hurt herself and makes the lawyer rethink uh, her position and they end up having to try these guys for something other than the actual rape. Well, it, wasn't this based on a true story as well? I don't believe so. Really? No, I think it's one of those things that, you know, there's a lot of um, common threads in, in, in real situations, but not based on any particular one. Um, this was an Academy Award Jodie Foster's first Academy Award winning performance and this movie I don't think I know anyone who hasn't seen it like it's one of those movies that everybody's seen it's very powerful um, I, I really don't know what more to say about it it's not a feel-good film <laughs> if you if the, if the movie has eluded you at this point you're not looking to be brought down then you might want to avoid the accused, but if you're looking for something that's got some teeth and isn't really afraid to sort of tell you how things are, then uh, then, then give it a go. Mm -hmm. uh, next is uh, Clean and Sober, which I had briefly mentioned earlier with Michael Keaton turning in a uh, dramatic performance. He wakes up in bed one morning with a dead chick who has OD'd on cocaine and he has liberated some money from the company which he works for and decides to check into rehab to avoid the police and work and everything else. Um, he ends up finding out that he may have been in uh, more need for the program than he realizes. And the movie co-stars Kathy Baker and Morgan Freeman. It's a great movie. Have you ever seen it? I uh, know, but um, Claudia Christian's uh, also in that, too. <sighs> She's fucking hot. How did she not explode? I don't know. Uh, because I think she went on to Babylon 5. Well, no, she didn't. That was no, the death she, of a lot of she kept stubbing her toe in films, but she just never broke through. Like, she was in Hexed and The Hidden. And, I mean, like, you know, they, they tried to make her an It Girl, but it just never happened. And she, oh, man. She, her in The Hidden, you really don't see women much more beautiful than that. Yeah, that was a good role. I rather enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, without going into too much detail, I had mentioned Gorillas in the Mist earlier. This was Sigourney Weaver's Academy Award turn, uh, award-nominated turn, uh, where she plays Diane Fossey. It's, you know, it's your um, better-than-average biopic. Um, great supporting uh, performance by Brian Brown in this as well. Uh, Grave of the Fireflies. This was a Japanese animated film about a brother and sister who were orphaned by fire bombings during the Second World War and sort of the strife that, that they had to endure afterwards. Um, for an animated film, you don't generally see stuff that's this powerful. I was, I was thoroughly impressed with it and uh, can't recommend it high enough. Made me cry a little bit. Uh, Torch Song Trilogy, which uh, stars Hi Harvey Firestein, and it's based on his um, Broadway play. 
uh, about a drag queen kind of looking for love and acceptance in a cold, hard world. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That kind of trivializes things a little bit, but it is um, just an amazing film. It also uh, stars Matthew Broadwick, Broadwick, (laughs) Broadrick, and Anne Bancroft, uh, Brian Kerwin, and Karen Young. Um, it, it's just, it's about humanity. Don't let the gay theme put you off. If that, uh, if that's kind of something that bothers you in film, it, um, it, it's really got a lot to say about acceptance and, and sort of the conditions that, that we love. Mm-hmm. Uh, Costa Gravis's Betrayed stars, uh, Deborah Winger and Tom Berenger. She plays an FBI agent who poses as a custom combiner who is investigating the death of a online or on-air radio personality, kind of in the vein of a Howard Stern kind of thing, sort of a provocateur, yeah. who ends up getting gunned down by a white supremacist group. Um, she ends up uh, becoming quite involved with uh, Tom Berenger's character and his family, And it really, we talked about Mississippi burning and we've talked about hairspray and sort of how they deal with racism. Betrayed kind of asked different questions about it. Sort of like, you know, I don't really know how to say it without giving too much away, but it is a man who has, who subscribes to that sort of ideology completely dark. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like is his heart completely completely black and is there is there hope for the children being raised in that environment and it, it, it poses a lot of questions costa gravis do, does sort of um politically he, he during the 80s he did a series of sort of politically themed films and this he kind of approaches stuff from a different angle and it's it's really cool to see how he does it you'll probably see this tomorrow <laughs> yeah. yeah we've we've finally um tracked it down on uh Zip.ca, which is the Canadian equivalent of uh, 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 Netflix. Netflix, and uh, it just didn't come in time. Yeah, and it was uh, actually written by Joe Esterhaus. Yeah, uh, who gave us like Flashdance, Basic Instinct. Yeah, um, Showgirls, Showgirls, <laughs> Jade. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you wanted to speak about the Vanishing. Uh, yes, the original 1988 version of The Vanishing, uh, also known as Spurlus. Um Yeah, it's about this uh, uh, guy and his girlfriend that are taking a trip to France in order uh, just to have a vacation or to see where he's from. And see underpants? Yes, I, I yeah. see London. I see France. But... Um, yeah, and uh, they go to a gas station rest stop area. Uh, they had, had a, they had a little fight earlier, and uh, she goes. Everything is reconciled that he he's aware of, and she goes to get them some drinks, and doesn't return. Um, it is a thrilling. Movie like it's edge of your seat kind of stuff. Like well, what's happening? You've explained what probably the first twenty twenty five minutes of the film. Yeah. Um, the 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 boyfriend who's been who, who's left there. He really becomes obsessed with um, what happened and and knowing the answers. 
and is having a hard time letting go of it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he's he's having a hard time with um starting new relationships and and carrying on with his life in, until the, the, this question is answered and mm-hmm. the from that point the movie really goes to sort of, you know, what lengths will he go to in order to to to, to have get, these questions yeah. answered. And uh don't want to give anything away but uh if you've only seen the American version of this, also by the same by director, the same director yeah. uh, you are missing a lot. You need to watch the original. Yeah. Um, yeah. Don't let the subtitles put you off. It, this is this is a an amazing and powerful film. Yes, brilliant performances by everybody in it. It's just, yeah, you've got to see it. And um, last in the drama section that we were going to speak about is the Last Temptation of Christ. Yes, a uh, movie by Martin Scorsese. Um, starring Willem Dafoe, Harvey Keitel, uh, Barbara Hershey, who we mentioned before. Um, fairly decent performances. Uh, this is well, Willem Dafoe's second movie of the year. Uh, he did Mississippi Burning as well. Um, follows the life of Christ uh, after... Uh, well, he... After a stint of the Royal Ballet, right? Yes, yes, that's right. Uh, he's, uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> I can't even say it anymore. Yeah, it follows the life of uh, Jesus Christ from when he uh, first starts uh, thinking he might be, he might be the, the the Messiah, and uh, follows his path from like uh, pretty much a hippie. Like love is everything to the warrior, like with with the axe to cut out the uh, the blasphemy or the, uh, the heresy uh, to like being nailed up on the cross and uh, um, not really my cup of tea, uh, subject matter wise, but um, beautifully shot. Very stark landscapes. Well, I think what's really of note of Last Temptation of Christ is that it was um, severely protested by the Catholic League, amongst others. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, controversy aside, this is a big departure from Martin Scorsese's, who, I mean, is mostly famous for doing films about um, the mafia and um, sort of really... Um, characters from the sort of the underbelly of society and, you know, things like taxi driver and, and stuff like that. Um, I think it's, it's very cool to see him sort of expand, um, what it is that he does. Uh, you know, this is probably only one of two period films that I can think of that he did. Um, the other being the age of innocence. And I think this is was his follow-up to The King of Comedy, which, again, was another departure, because, I mean, you don't really think laughs are right when you think uh, <laughs> Martin, Martin Scorsese's. No. Um, I, I know that you're you're very underwhelmed by the film. I I know we sat down to watch it, and I just I wasn't in the frame of mind to watch the, the movie at that time, but I know that I had seen it prior to that, and I enjoyed it. I thought it was really, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I I didn't care for Har- uh, Harvey Keitel's performance in this. I don't know. He just seemed to be playing Harvey Keitel and everything he's been in. 
uh, I think it could have been uh, cast a little bit better in that position, but uh, Willem Dafoe did his normal uh, angst-ridden performance as Christ. Uh, very, very decent. Um, and yeah, and I think the whole controversy thing was, uh, yeah, like Christ wouldn't have shacked up with a woman. That's what the Catholics were all up in arms about. Well, and he doesn't in the film. I mean, this is an imagining of what his life could be rather than, yeah. than um, you know, the last temptation of Christ wasn't that, you know, he was partying with hoes and, and, you know, doing belly shots and shit like that. It was, it was that he thought of having a different life than a the one that was life. imposed upon him. Yeah. A, a normal everyman life. Yeah. And, uh, if, if the Catholic League would have actually watched the movie uh, before they did all the protests, I'm sure they would have enjoyed it. Wow, dude. You don't go protesting something informed. Like, what the fuck? I know, especially the church. Like, who would have thought? Hmm. My name isn't Michael. It's Danny. My parents are Arthur and Annie Pope. They're in trouble with the FBI for blowing up a napalm laboratory in 1971. There was a man who was almost killed, a janitor who wasn't supposed to be there. We put Sam on the birthday cakes, on all the birthday cakes, because we change our names every time we move. I've been doing this since I was two. I don't know any other way. As sort of a snapshot to the uh, critical consensus of uh, 1988, we'll uh, take a look at uh, the top ten, or yeah, the top ten lists of uh, Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert, who were uh, widely considered the critics of choice. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, why don't you kick things off with the list from, or the, well, the number 10 pick from Roger Ebert. Alrighty. Uh, Roger Ebert had, as number 10, Running on Empty. Oh, solid choice. And uh, Gene Siskel's number 10 was Working Girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, number 9 for Ebert was Dear America, Letters Home from Vietnam. Number 9 from Gene Siskel was The Unbearable Lightness of Being. Ebert's number eight was Who Framed Roger Rabbit? And number eight from Gene Siskel was The Hotel Terminus, The Life and Times of Klaus Barbie. Uh, number seven was Wings of Desire by Roger Ebert. Which uh, was remade as... Uh... 
How do you uh, spell that? Nicholas Cage <laughs> and uh, Meg Ryan, City of Angels. Uh, number seven from Gene Siskel was the documentary The Thin Blue Line. And number six for Roger Ebert is one of my favorite films, A Fish Called Wanda. Gene Siskel picked Midnight Run as his number six pick. Roger Ebert's number five was Salam Bombay. That was a Marinier film. Uh, number five from Gene Siskel was The Accidental Tourist. Roger Ebert's number four was Shy People. Ooh, good movie. Uh, number four from Gene Siskel was Little Dorriet. Little Dorrit, maybe? Yeah, that too. <laughs> uh, Ebert's number three was The Unbearable Lightness of Being. Number three from Gene Siskel, Bull Durham. Uh, Ebert, uh, again, paired up uh, Siskel's list with The Accidental Tourist for number two. Great movie. Uh, number two from Gene Siskel was The Crowd Pleasing Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And Ebert's number one pick for 1988 was Mississippi Burning. And Gene Siskel chose The Last Temptation of Christ as his number one film for 1988. Excellent. Now let's take a look at the Academy Award um, nominees and winners in the major categories for 1988. Um, do you want to kick things off with uh, the director category there, Mark? I would like to, if I could find it. I'd love to kick this off. Uh, directors were Martin Scorsese for The Last Temptation of Christ, Alan Parker for Mississippi Burning, Mike Nichols for Working Girl, Charles Crichton for A Fish Called Wanda, and Barry Levinson won it for Rain Man. In the Best Supporting, Best Supporting, the <laughs> Best Supporting Actress category, we had, as mentioned, Sigourney Weaver in Working Girl, Michelle Pfeiffer, the ignored Michelle Pfeiffer by I love Mark, you, Michelle. <laughs> in Dangerous Liaisons, Frances McDormand in Mississippi Burning, Joan Cusack in Working Girl, and the winner was, of course, Gina Davis in The Accidental Tourist. In the Best Supporting Actor category, uh, we had Dean Stockwell in Married to the Mob, River Phoenix in Running on Empty, Martin Landau in Tucker, The Man in His Dream, Alec Guinness in Little Dorrit, and Kevin Klein won it for his role as Otto in A Fish Called Wanda. In the Best Actress category, there was Sigourney Weaver once again in uh, Gorillas in the Mist, Meryl Streep in A Cry in the Dark, Mich Michelle. I still love you, Michelle Mel Piper. <laughs> Melanie Griffith in, in Working Girl. Uh, Glenn Close in Dangerous Liaisons. And Jodie Foster won for The Accused. Best Actor. The nominees were Max von Sydow for, in Palais the Conqueror. Edward James Olmost. Eh, almost. Edward James Olmost in Stander. <laughs> okay. Standard delivery. <laughs> that was a porn flick, dude. <laughs> yeah. yeah, stand and deliver. Okay. The best actor nominees were Max von Sydow. I ain't cutting this, so you may as well carry on for where you fucked up. What? I, I screwed it up. I'm all over the place with this one. <laughs> Woo! Okay. Uh, we'll start from the beginning on that one. Uh, Max von Sydow in Pele the Conqueror. Edward James Olmos in Stand and Deliver. Tom Hanks in Big, Gene Hackman in Mississippi Burning, and Dustin Hoffman won it for Rain Man. 
And for Best Picture of 1988, there was Working Girl, Mississippi Burning, Dangerous Liaisons, The Accidental Tourist, but the winner was Rain Man. Imagine that. All right, we're getting dangerously close to the end here as we choose the films we think were overlooked, underrated, or forgotten. And then we'll uh, take a look at the things that we thought were overrated and best forgotten. And then finally, our top five picks for 1988. So let's start it off. What um, what have you got for over... Or I'm sorry. Yes, overlooked films of 1988, Mark. Um, for me... I'd have to say hairspray because I completely overlooked it. Um, yeah, it was it was a beautifully done movie. I John Waters in top form, just perfectly done. I I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, it's a great movie. And I also had Miracle Mile with um, Anthony Edwards and Mare Winningham and. Uh, Again, that was that was a movie that I am not sure that I've seen before until you showed me it, and yeah, yeah it was it was great. It is. It's a it's really a, good movie, and it actually it's on slate for uh, for a remake as well uh, for this year, I believe. Yeah. Did you want to do a little synopsis of that? Let people know what it was about. Um, it is a. Uh, a guy and a girl meet at the uh, La Brea Tar Pits in Los Angeles at the kind of the little uh, visitor center. And uh, he's only in town for a short little while because he's a traveling musician. And they hit it off. And he's supposed to meet her after she finishes her shift at work. And he oversleeps because the power goes out in his hotel room. And uh, when he does get there, he's well after her shift, and she's gone. But the payphone outside of the restaurant rings, and he answers it. And there's a frantic call from somebody uh, saying that there is, uh, well, well the, the nuclear war has started. And they've only got, like, an hour and a bit to pretty much kiss their asses goodbye. <laughs> And then the panic that starts from that initial phone call, which ended up being a wrong number. But it, it's very cool. It's just sort of how yeah. how panic snowballs and and and, and and it's shown in the movie too. Like yeah. it's just originally him, he is completely completely distraught, and then he goes into the diner, and then it just yeah just expands out there exponentially. So that, yeah, within an hour and a little bit, the whole city is engulfed in this panic. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, how about yourself? What do you got? Uh, you just have the two? I have the two because uh, there there are more, most likely a lot of movies there that are overlooked and underrated, but I just haven't seen very many of them. I don't know what a lot of them are. Well. Let's see. I've got um, a few here. Um, a lot of these, I think, are going to replay again in my <laughs> top five. So let's take a look at the ones that will not. 
Um, first of which would be a film called The Tiger's Tale, which, again, is one that I really don't think too many people have seen. This starred uh, C. Thomas Howell, Kelly Preston, and Anne Margrock. <laughs> um, C. Thomas Howell and Kelly Preston are kind of boyfriend-girlfriend, kind of not getting along too well and everything. Um, Howell ends up having an affair with her mother. And they end up being quite public about their affair. And it's just, it's a silly little um, May-December romance, romantic comedy. Um, I don't know, it just, it really, really appealed to me and I enjoyed it to no end. Uh, next is The Seventh Sign with uh, Demi Moore, Michael Bean, and was it Jurgen Prochna? I believe so. Um, this is a story about a uh, young woman who is in in the in the last week of her pregnancy when uh, she and her husband take a border over their garage, and um, suddenly all of the the seven signs that the Bible predict that will uh, be the call for the end of the world start happening, and um, she. One discovers of those cats and dogs living together. And there you go. <laughs> she discovers that she's a player in in all of this. Um, I love this movie. This this movie was such a surprise for me. Like I was expecting, you know, that kind of apocalyptic, uh, you know, silliness that that would would ensue from a film like this. But it it's so much better than its premise. And uh, I think Demi Moore really proves herself as as a leading actress in this film. I mean, she had been in several things, primarily silly stuff like One Crazy Summer and St. Elmo's Fire and stuff yeah, like that. But this Bl was... Blame it on Rio was, was before this too, right? Pardon me? Blame it on Rio. Yeah. But I mean, you know, something that really didn't uh, hand her the reins and let her, her run a film. And she, she proves that, you know, she's engaging enough and she's strong enough as an actress to do it and and it was just it was a really 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 good movie um the rest are pretty much all going to appear on my top five here so i will defer to you for your overrated films of 1988 all um this one here will probably get me flamed by many fanboys who consider it uh their version of the bible um Akira, the Japanese animated movie uh, about uh, a really super boring subject. <laughs> well, actually, it wasn't a boring subject. The premise for the for the movie was was great, like uh, genetically altering children to try to bring them to uh, like the next step in evolution and to be all that they can be. Uh, they had done it uh, thirty years before. And came up with Akira, who ended up using his powers and pretty much blowing up the city of Tokyo. And uh, here it is, like 30 years in the future, and they're trying to recreate that only to uh, control the power instead. And it is such a disjointed, poorly edited movie that... Uh, I'm sure that the original source material in the comic books uh, explains a lot more and is very well-versed, but uh, I've tried to watch this this movie three times. Uh, back in about 1989, 
I watched the uh, the original subtitled version of it. Um, in about 96, or no, sorry, 94, I watched the English dub version of it, or the original English dub version of it. And I rewatched the the subtitled version uh, just before this this podcast, and uh, it doesn't get better with 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 each subsequent watching. It it still astounds me how people consider this thing to be uh, the end the end all and be all of what movies should be. Like yes, the animation is great, but the storytelling isn't overrated this was a movie that i was i had every intention of watching before we um before we did this podcast Uh, it's a movie i've been avoiding for years and um yeah i ended up choosing to continue avoiding it i know that this this considered to be like you know the granddaddy of anime and all that sort of stuff um i'm not a big fan of anime yeah (laughs) and so i i'm really not i I, I, I kind of chose the opposite path of you. I figure rather than, than slag it, um, because it is a movie that I'm not going to like anyhow, I just chose to, to not do it and and not be hating. So. Alrighty. Um, my over... Was, did you have more? Oh, I, I have more, yeah. Oh, go, go, go. Um, there was actually a, a... It was like a TV movie, but it was still a movie released in 88 would say that doesn't really qualify but okay carry on um, it was uh, a version of uh, Born Ultimatum with Richard Chamberlain and uh, oh Kelly from Charlie's Angels Jacqueline Smith uh, wow what a piece of crap uh, my mom when I told her that I was going to be watching this was like oh I love that movie I love Richard Chamberlain well this will be probably the last time I follow my mom's uh, advice in watching a movie because, wow, it sucked really bad. Um, Jacqueline Smith's performance in this was uh, saddening to watch because she was usually plays such a strong, strong female character. And in this, she was the cowering, simpering oh, please save me, kind of woman. And, yeah, it was disappointing. And Richard Chamberlain's performance in this as well is uh, ham-fisted. That's all I got to say. Literally, that was all I had to say. I have absolutely nothing, so. I I also had uh, Last Temptation of Christ down there is overrated because I didn't, yeah. Yeah, we'll 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 move on to yours because we've already talked about my yeah. we've already talked last temptations. So. I mean, I really, really, the only thing that I could come up with was a uh, cocktail. I I think everything else kind of, um, I think everything either kind of performed or or got the accolades in which they deserved. Maybe some more than others. Now that I think about it, but <laughs> cocktail, I think, was one of those movies that really went through the roof and. For for no reason, like it's you know, a there, movie about a bartender. Well, it, it, even beyond that, I mean, there there can be an interesting movie about a bartender. Cocktail wasn't it, and you know, oh, Coyote Ugly. Yeah, 
yeah. Well, exactly. I mean, Coyote yeah. Ugly kind of kicked ass. And um, Cocktail is just, Cocktail was just boring, predictable, um, pureed fucking crap that people ate with a spoon and went, mmm, that was good. And I think, um, I'm sure that, you know, given some second sight and second thought about it, I think maybe, uh, I think people will realize that it's going to be a forgotten film. Yep. Best forgotten. <laughs> Absolutely best forgotten. And so let's talk about our um, top five films of the year. Why don't we bandy back and forth? Alrighty. I'll go first, and that'll make you um, last. Are they going to be in any particular order, or just um, from the bottom to up? Mm. So I'm going to kick things off with my number five pick, which would be uh, Luc Besson's *The Big Blue*. What a beautiful movie! It is a an amazing movie. This is a, a film about. Um, a woman who works for an insurance company who ends up going to where was it? It's uh, like Peru, like like uh, the okay. mountains of Peru. It, she uh, encounters this uh, a diver there who she becomes somewhat smitten with. Uh, not so much that she kind of she's crushing on him, but it's because he seems, I think, um, an enigma, and she ends up arranging so that she can sort of cross paths with him again in Italy. Italy. And um, as she learns more about him, she realizes, learns how how different he is. It's not just his lifestyle. It is who Mm -hmm. he is. Um, Jean Reno has a great support. Well, I guess I should talk about the cast. Uh, Jean-Marc Barr plays, um, oh, what the hell is this character's name? Oh, the... The the central character, anyhow. (laughs) Um, And Rosanna Arquette plays the, 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 the girl that, that, becomes enchanted by him and Jean Reno plays his, uh, his, his main rival his in a, but best friend. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. and probably one of the funniest roles that you'll find in a Luke Besson film short of Ruby rod. Um, it's just, it's just a great movie. It, it has this ethereal, um, way about it. It, it, it you, be, you become enchanted with this man the way that, that she does. Mm-hmm. In you know, like he he's almost like this missing link between the earth and the sea, and it it's painful to see how he can't reconcile that 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 divide. Um, I yeah. I really don't know what more to say except if you yeah. have not seen this, seek it, watch it, and and love it like it should be loved. If you have seen this back in the day. And you saw like the ninety-minute version of it. You saw an aborted version of this yes, film. Yes, you was... have to find the international yeah. version. And um, yeah, that's it. That's the big blue. Mm-hmm. Um, awesome choice, by the way. Uh, my number five would be, I think, Scrooged. Cool. Uh, Bill Murray's uh, Christmas Carol. We've already talked about it. Yep. So can't say much more about it than we already did. Cool. Uh, number four for me was the accidental tourist. Uh, we saw this on uh, the Siskel and Ebert list, and this is a movie that warranted both the Academy Award acclaim that it got and and the critical acclaim. It uh, is directed by Lawrence Kasdan, and stars William Hurt, Kathleen Turner, and of course Gina Davis, who won her Academy Award here. Um, this is it's it starts off about a man who's lost his son. 
and had his marriage dissolved because of that loss and has sort of fallen into um, a void where his life really doesn't have a whole lot of meaning. It's not like he's suicidal and depressed about it or anything like that. He's mm -hmm. just sort of floating through life unaffected. Mm -hmm. And one day he takes his dog to be trained by this very odd, quirky woman played by uh, Gina Davis, and she starts breathing life back into his existence. And it is... It's so sweet and so charming and so sad and so heartbreaking. And I mean, like, it, it's just, it, it runs the gamut and it's just, mm -hmm. it's an incredible film. You didn't get a chance to see I this did not. We... I, no, I had so many movies on my plate to watch yeah. and I just did not get, get to them all. And that was one of the ones that I wanted to see. Yeah, someday I'll make you sit down and watch it. All right. Um, my number four, uh, I have to say, would be Dangerous Liaisons. Again, a movie that we've discussed prolifically. Uh, but yeah, it was yeah, just a performances. It's it's funny, it's smart, it's well acted, it's amazingly directed, it looks fantastic. I yeah. mean this probably one of uh Malkovich's best bad best performances that I've seen him do. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, actually he, he wore his costume in this in an Annie Lennox video. Oh, uh, walking on broken glass, yeah. 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 Um, so my number three pick would be Roman Polanski's Frantic, which we spoke about already. Yeah. Uh, great film. Yeah. I, I love it. I, I, I want to watch it again. Yeah. I haven't seen it for a few years now. So yes. Yeah. Uh, and just good. to hear Grace Jones's Libertango. <laughs> um, my number three, uh, A Fish Called Wanda. Again, another movie that we've already discussed extensively in this podcast, uh, I just I, I can't get enough of this movie. Like it's, it's hysterically funny. When man. we watched it, uh, it, was, it was like two months ago now, right? Mm, a little longer than that. Yeah, it was still as fresh today as it was then. Yeah, just fantastic. And it's one of those movies too. I, you know, I don't know how many times I've seen it, and I still like fucking belly laugh at the movie. Like, mm -hmm. you know, there's there's just some really really great stuff happening there. Uh, back to me. Yep. Uh, my number two pick is one that we haven't talked about yet. And last time we talked about this, when we recorded the podcast the first time, oh, I'll clamped. <laughs> so I'm not going to, I'm not going to go there this time. Um, yeah, don't, don't get too deep into this yeah. movie. This is uh Cindy Lumet's, uh, running on empty starring River Phoenix, uh, Judd Hirsch, Christine Lottie and Martha Plipton. It's about a family who's been on the run for, from the FBI for years because of crimes that they committed in protest of the Vietnam War. And their son has now gotten to an age where he's sort of at a crossroad, where he has to decide whether he's going to stay with his parents and be a fugitive or start living a life of his own. Pull back, man. I can hear it in your voice. <laughs> I love this movie so much. And you know what? And I've completely fucked up this is actually my number one not my number two so i'll talk about my number two instead but um yeah it's just um enough said if if you get the opportunity to see this movie see it have a box of tissues handy at and, least one box at least one and and it's not depressing sad like don't get the wrong idea you know like there's not a body count at the end of this movie nobody dies hmm. but 
it it'll it'll pull at your fucking heartstrings like a son of a bitch. Uh, be sure to watch it early enough in the evening so that yeah, you can you'll phone, have to home. phone your parents afterwards. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I love this movie too. Yeah. Uh, I had forgotten that it was even on the list when I was doing up my top five. So. See, I'm hearing fire and rain in my head, and I'm getting a little clapped. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Alrighty, I'll just move along quickly then. Yes, distract me. Um, things. Um, my number two pick, unlike your number two, which is actually number one, uh, is Mississippi Burning. Uh, again, I we've talked about all of my top five movies here, so it's fantastic. Um, yeah, it's this like black and white tale of racism in the South. Starkly black and white. Yeah. I, um, Crisp filmmaking, too. It was, yeah. I think that, you know, the, the sort of the two camps that you have in Mississippi Burning, I, I don't get me wrong, This it is a great film. It, it is so well done and everything else. But um, the good guys are painted in very broad strokes and the bad guys are painted in very broad strokes. And there's there is a gray line that runs through it. But it's not very wide, and, it, and but fortunately, it's the perspective that you see from in the film. Yeah. Um. Who was the? Uh, I want to think Rucker. Rooker. Michael Rooker. Michael Rooker. His character in this holy, yeah. the black yeah. evil. Yeah. Not yeah. black, black, but yeah. 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 yeah it was. It's such a great movie. I loved it. Okay, so my number two, which is which I'm saying in the number one position, but I got everything <laughs> fucked up, and you know, this is me. If you've been listening and you haven't caught on by now that I can fuck anything up, then <laughs> you're just you're just setting yourself up for heartache here. Uh, but it is probably also my most underrated film of the year, which is Apartment Zero. Uh, this is another film I don't think too many people have heard about. Mm-hmm. It uh, it it stars. Um, um, Hart Bachner and Colin Firth. Uh, Firth is a um, British expatriate living in South America who runs a art house cinema. Um, times are tough, and he ends up having to take a roommate after his mother ends up in the hospital because she's kind of lost it. Yeah, it's like Alzheimer's or dementia. Or something. Yeah, yeah, or just or possibly just mentally ill. It, it it's really hard to say. They don't really delve into that much, but um, he ends up taking a roommate to cover the bills, and he he is instantly quite charmed by the, the this new roommate, and um, be, they become fast friends. However, it be a rather uneasy friendship, mm-hmm. and but as things progress, he starts to realize things are sort of amiss, and. There's there's a huge homoerotic uh, undertext that's going on here. Uh, this uh, th- this guy that has moved in is a complete chameleon, and is able to adapt and and sort of become what it is people need him to be. He sort of emulates this um, um, charisma that everybody gets drawn into that that meets him and he exudes. Yeah, and. Okay. Sort of as things progress, you realize that that is a very, very, very shaky. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. It, yeah, we 
like you had mentioned this movie a while back, and then I don't know if you had found it or I, I bought it on eBay just not that oh, long ago. That's right. Came, that's yeah. that's how how we how we yeah. ended up watching it was that uh, you got it and yeah, I hadn't seen it or heard of it before yeah. and. Yeah, great performance. Yeah. Holy smokes. I mean, you got mystery, you have suspense, you've got, you know, these tense relationships in the in the movie and mm-hmm. stuff like that. It's I I find it absolutely fascinating. It just it it draws me in and I just even knowing how it ends, it's kind of like what's going to happen? Like <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, so that was my number 2 pick. Okay. And your number one, my number which is one, really a number pick, one, which is my number one, yeah. <laughs> uh, which, strangely enough, is also a movie that we have talked extensively about. It is Die Hard in a, a tall business building. <laughs> it's Die Hard. It's Die Hard. Yeah, the best of the best. Yeah, yeah. the the one that rewrote the genre. Yeah, great film, great list. Yes, uh, awesome movies all around. I have to admit. Well, as I mean, as we said when we started, you know, this um, it, it, this wasn't a banner year by any stretch of the imagination, but consistently, really, really solid films and performances throughout. Yeah, I I would uh, if I had if I had more time, I would go back and I would watch a lot more of these movies. Yeah, because there is so much more here that I want to see. I just wish that uh, I worked less and had more had more time and more money and more DVDs. <laughs> well, I'm sure you'll have all of those in the future yet. Well, well, no, like you just had the birthday, so now it's less time. But yeah, because I'm getting old. <laughs> So that wraps things up for 1988. Goodbye, 1988. I hope you've had as much fun hearing about it as we have had talking about it. And a lot. Yeah, and hopefully this will inspire you to maybe uh, pick a movie or two that you uh, haven't seen and uh, and give it a shot. I highly suggest Apartment Zero. <laughs> yeah, or Running on Empty. Oh. Yes. Or, <laughs> strangely, if you are... That one in ten million people that have not seen Die Hard, watch that. Is that even possible? I, don't I, think I, I know. Think I, I think I think people when they're being born now, uh, that's uh, <laughs> it's that's like, like downloaded into their brains. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So next up, we're going to be talking about uh, 1994. Four, yes. So um, you know, bone up on that and see if there's anything that you missed. Shoot us a note if you think that there's something that we should talk about in, that pertaining to 1994. Be it, um, be it crap that you might like or fantastic movies that we might like. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's Mark's world. We're all just living in it, okay? That's right. Um, you can uh, leave us uh, com- comments at uh, hermophobia.blogspot.com. Or shoot us an email at hermophobia at gmail.com. Okay, you're stepping on my toes here, dude. I'm I was going to remind people that see, I'm old. they can sign into um, Blogspot using their OpenID account, uh, which we had mentioned last year. If you still haven't gotten around to check that out, last that year. is openid.net <laughs> slash get. 
and figure out how you can use that one login for a number of different sites, including Blogspot, and then you can leave us messages. Yes, he Comments. really meant last week and not last year. Did I say last year? Yeah, he did. <laughs> you know what? It's been a long evening here. So, um, anyhow, we will cut this off and uh, let you get on with your day and uh, by saying good day. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>